Well, good morning, Freeway, and it's a joy to be able to come and open up God's Word to you this morning. And uh, particular greetings to those of you who are visiting us online, especially your pastor up at Wodonga. He's checking me out to make sure that I preach clearly. He's very careful who he allows to come and preach in his pulpit. And it is a privilege and a joy to be able to come this morning and to open up God's Word and to share it with those of you who are in the hall and also those of you who are meeting with us online. As has been indi in indicated, um, I am the regional pastor for the West, so my little office is a car that I drive around half the state. And, um, and uh, during this COVID period of time, it was, uh, it was a difficult period of time. I, all of us found it really difficult. And it's a joy to be able to come together, not only in person, but for many of us to feel safe that we can actually not wear a mask. There's nothing worse than singing songs wearing a mask. You know, all the spittle and everything else comes out into the mask and you're thinking then, oh, it just becomes really, really complicated. But uh, Jay, uh, Mason has been taking you on a journey through the book of Colossians. And we come to this particular passage of Scripture. These verses focus on Paul sharing a bit about his own story, a little bit about his testimony and his concern for the people at Colossae. Paul personally hadn't been to Colossae. And uh, he didn't know too many people there, but he was aware of, of a number of the people who had been there, and he had been hearing stories being fed back to him, and he was quite concerned with a number of things that were happening, and particularly, as, as Mason would have shared with you, about what we call the Colossian heresy that was in, inputting into the church at that particular period of time. Now, for all of us, we find that when situations and circumstances come into our lives, it's amazing how our faith responds or reacts. And the title of my message this morning is about confident faith. I wonder as you reflect back upon your own journey of faith over these past three years, where you have been faced with insurmountable issues how strong your faith is. Has the circumstances of life allowed your faith to increase and be strengthened in what God is able to do and that God is still in control? Or have the issues around you dictated how your faith is responding? When things go wrong, it's amazing the impact that it has on our faith. And the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning is, how strong is your faith? The basic thesis that we would like to work on is that confident faith grows through healthy insights. And I'm going to be sharing with you four insights that Paul brings out of this portion as he shares his story and he impacts and reflects upon his circumstances and how they were able to strengthen and increase his faith. And he was wanting that to impact into the Colossian church at that particular point of time. The key verse that we see in this is the words that he says in verse 5 of chapter 2. 
which is the outcome that he wants to see. For he says, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and I delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. The circumstances that you and I have been facing, have you noticed that a lot of people have dropped off coming to church? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that people are dropping off even meeting online? Have you noticed off that people have stopped reading their Bibles and have stopped praying? Does this concern you? Because it certainly concerns me, and it was concerning the Apostle Paul when he was hearing the influences of what the Colossian heresy, which was talking about the Gnostics at that particular point of time, people that were coming on and saying that there's, there's deeper knowledge and there is mystic language that is used, and there is secret issues that can only be discovered as you go deeper into the formation of your faith. And then there was the Jewish issue that was also there, saying, well, you must be circumcised, and you need to eat certain foods, and you, you you need to fast, and you need to do all of these sorts of things. And so there was There was a lot of confusion going on in the Colossian church at this particular point of time. And when you look at our circumstances today, this letter is very, very relevant to address where people's faith is because people's faith has been wavering. And it's amazing how many people are discovering their own personal theology, or the terminology that some people would be using as, well, that's your truth, and I have my truth. And there are no absolutes anymore. Have you noticed that? Particularly in our school system, in our education system, in our political system, there are no particular absolutes anymore. Does this concern you? It concerns me. Because if there's no absolutes, then everybody does everything their own way, and they're right. It is their right to believe that I don't have to do certain things and live up to certain standards. This is the pressure that we're under today, and this portion of Scripture is so, so relevant that it impacts our lives. This first insight that we see for confident faith to grow healthy is what we call suffering helps us identify with Christ. The Apostle Paul begins this portion of Scripture by stating, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. What an interesting place to, to begin after opening up the, the revelation of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and then he comes and starts sharing his own personal story and the impact of his own personal life and saying, well, I now rejoice in what is being suffered for you at this particular point of time. I wonder if you have a particular theology of suffering. I certainly did have, and it changed at a particular point in my own personal life. It was in August 1979. 
I vividly remember that because I had been married for six months. My theology at that particular point of time was bad things don't happen to good people, and I was a good person. Now, for those of you as a congregation don't personally know me, and I don't, I'm not preaching in the way that I often would, which means because I'm on camera, um, I am limited, according to Mason, to stand on the X, the marks, the place where you stand. You will also notice that I am quite a visual um, presenter and will wave my hands about. And you may have noticed that I have a missing finger. That came about in August of 1979. What was happening is that I had been a fitter and turner with General Motors Holden at Fisherman's Bend, and I was working overtime on the Saturday. And on that particular Saturday, I was also going to be playing soccer in the afternoon. I was also carrying the soccer nets in the car, and so I raced from uh, the workplace to the soccer ground, and uh, gave one set of soccer nets to one of, the, one of my other players and started putting up the soccer net on one of the ends. Now, there's little hooks that are on uh, the crossbar of soccer, uh, soccer posts. And as I was putting up the soccer posts, jumping up, my wedding ring got caught on one of those hooks. And I came down, and my wedding ring stayed up, and my finger came down on the other side. It happened so quickly, and uh, it, so it ripped my finger off. As a result of that, I was in quite agony. So they rushed me off to the hospital, and uh, so they took me to Dandenong Hospital, and then from Dandenong Hospital, they thought, okay, we can do microsurgery, and so then they put me in an ambo and took me off to St. Vincent's Hospital. Now, while I was in hospital lying there, I was pretty angry. I was very angry because my theology was bad things don't happen to good people, and I'm a good person. And as I was lying there on the bed, Jesus turned up at the end of my bed. And as I looked, I could see him. No one else could see him, but I, I saw him, and it was very, very clear. And all he did was this. He stuck his hands out like this. And as he stuck his hands out, he looked me in the eye and he says, Graham, now you know a little about what I went through. My eyes were open to the reality is that what I was experiencing was nothing compared to what he went through for me. The agony, the pain, the suffering that he went through was absolutely nothing. You see, I had been very selfish and people who suffer, well, they deserve it. But a lot of people that are going through suffering, they don't deserve it at all. So what's the purpose of suffering? How can I understand and appreciate the element of suffering? It is in this that Paul is actually reflecting the very words of a portion of Scripture that was actually written by Jesus' half-brother, James. When he writes, and it's people, not necessarily people's favorite verse, James chapter 1, verse 2, where he writes and says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face various trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. 
The element of, I'm not going to start rejoicing in my sufferings. I'm pretty aggro when I go through sufferings. But if I understand that if God is sovereign, and he is, in spite of the circumstances that are going on, even in Europe at this particular point of time, and even with the floods that are going on at this particular point of time, and the other issues that are going on at this particular point of time, God is still on the throne. And somehow, somehow he is doing something that I may not fully understand at this particular point of time. But one thing I have learned is that I can trust him because he is good, that he is going to be able to take this suffering situation and use it for his glory and use it to be a witness and testimony to other people. And that is what Paul is saying in this particular portion, passage of Scripture. Because where is he where, he con where he's corresponding to the church of Colossae? He's in prison, for goodness sake. Not a place that you would want to be. But he is acknowledging that even in prison, God is doing things. And when you realize that even in this correspondence, he had been corresponding, because this is only one of the letters he had sent at this moment of time, because there was a second letter that he had sent that went along with this particular letter, which is also in our scriptures, and it's the letter to Philemon which reflects upon a particular slave who had run away. <laughs> and then Paul tells him, I want you to go back. I want you to go back. The God is saying to us at this particular point of time, in your suffering, don't allow your suffering to be the context of your focus, but allow me to be the focus of your context because I am doing something. And the reality of the revelation that came to me in my suffering was, my suffering is nothing to what God went through and what Jesus went through for me. And I am glad that he did. This situation has become such a, an amazing opportunity <laughs> to talk about Jesus and not talk about me. I love how Paul writes in Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those in any trouble with the same comfort we receive, our, ourselves have received from God. God is the God of, and the source of all comfort. You cannot give away something that you have never personally received. And how many of us have tried to be giving away love when we've never received it? We've tried to be able to forgive people when we've never received it. And when we've gone through suffering, we haven't had that source of comfort. But when we have received the comfort and the love and the forgiveness that God demonstrates to us, we can give it away. Do you understand the reality of what Paul is saying here? Suffering has a purpose in God. It's one of the mysteries. It's one of the insights that we need to understand. If our faith is to grow strong, we need to understand suffering helps us identify with Christ.
Well, secondly, Paul goes on in the next verse and he says, service is a commission from God. He says it like this. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me, that is to present to you the word of God in all of its fullness. The aspect of service is the word diakonos, which is the word we use in Baptist circles of deacon. The aspect of we are call, all called to be diakonos. We are all called to be servants. We are all called by God to be instruments that God uses that are under the instruction of God. The commission that he has given to us is to carry out the responsibility that we have been given. The word diakonos is, is also talking about to be a servant in a household. And in this case, and in your case, and in my case, you and I are all called to be servants and to call to a service of God, who is the head of the home. The church is his body. The church is his house. And as we gather together, we are under the instruction of what the Spirit of God is saying. And the Word of God is very clear, and it says, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. You, you will do what I ask. And I noticed this morning that there's been a, a request made for helping to serve by keeping this place clean. Oh, that's not my gift. I've heard that be said. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not a person's gift. No, it, it doesn't have to be a person's gift. It's the opportunity to be able to carry one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. It's the opportunity as servants to be able to carry and to share and to work together because there is nothing greater than service together with others. I hate serving on my own. It's very lonely. And particularly with me being an extrovert, you know, I'm looking at, where, where is everybody? It's fine for those of you who are online that are the introverts and you like to be on your own, but those of us who are a little bit more extrovert, we like to be around people. And doing things together is just awesome. The aspect is that Paul was talking about, I have been called, become the servant of God, talking to people about the word of God in all its fullness. This is the mystery that he's been referring to. It's the mystery about who Jesus Christ really is, and he does it in various ways. He exercises it not just in his words, but in his actions by demonstrating to those around about him the gospel message. You know, the gospel message isn't, the, oh yeah, so I shouldn't need to ask you if you believe in Jesus. I shouldn't have to ask you if you believe in Jesus. I should see that you believe in Jesus. Because the joy of the Lord is in you. The way that you react with people, the way that you respond, the way that you serve, the way that you do things is a demonstration of the commission of God and that you are serving God in the way that you are serving morning tea. 
that you're serving God when you're demonstrating, when you're cleaning up the facilities here. You're serving God when you're making sandwiches. You're serving God when you're giving finances to help those that are out there that have been impacted by the floods. You're serving God when you're interceding and praying for those in persecution in China and Russia in the Ukraine, you are serving God. And this is what we've all been called to do. And it's a commission, it's a command from God, which reflects the very thing when God originally created Adam and Eve, he commissioned them to do certain things, go and multiply. Nurture the earth. Look after it. This is a commission that God, that has not changed. And if you notice the new, the new commission that has been given, it is to till the earth. It's go, to go out and make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Powerfully, Jesus says this, and this is my favorite part of the commission in John's gospel, chapter 20, 21, where it says, again, Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The mission that you and I have here on earth is to continue the work of Jesus. It's no different. It's to demonstrate to those around us in our communities and in our families the reality of the transformation power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reality is that when you and I are serving, not out of obligation, but we are serving because we are commissioned by God and we have the authority and power of God invested into us, people's lives are transformed. And that is a demonstration of the good news of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, following, the commission reads, and he says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, I now delegate to you a continued work. As you go, as you live, go and make disciples of all nations in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And lo, I am with you always. In other words, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I am with you. You are where I am, and I am where you are, in your home, in your workplace, not just when you gather together on Sundays. The Christian life is meant to be lived out 24-7 every day of the week so that people see the good news being demonstrated in your life and my life. This is our service by which Paul was demonstrating and Paul was living it out. The gospel is a means of serving and it's not just a matter of believing in your head, but it's actually demonstrating what God has already done. Now, we move on to this third insight that Paul wants the church at Colossae to fully understand and appreciate. And this third one is the enabling or the empowering or the, the ability to be able to carry out the service comes from spiritual power. He says, to this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. 
I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for all those in Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. I guess as I look down the line and as I look across this congregation, none of you have personally met Paul? Nope. Well, this is just for you. <laughs> he says, I am struggling with it. Notice the words that he's using. The words like, I labor. I'm struggling. The aspect of energy. The aspect of powerfully works. These are words that are talking about the aspect of the energizing, the ability to be able to carry out the responsibility. He is, a, he is applying within himself something. He's putting in his effort because God has put in his effort. The reality is Paul is laboring. This Christian life is not a bed of roses. Come to Jesus and have all your problems solved. Come to Jesus and have all your problems revealed. Have you noticed that? I certainly have. There was a particular point in my life where I had sensed the call of God. I, there is nothing greater than sensing the call of God, is there? And where um, I had felt the call of God to pastoral ministry, I had believed that the Lord was leading me onto the mission field. But then as I'd gone overseas and had come back, there was this, just, uh, this overwhelming sense. The church needs the gospel because the gospel is the power of God to salvation. And I'm seeing churches, no longer people coming and being part of the church. I don't see the influence of what I believe the gospel message is being able to do. And so I felt the call of God. And so what I did was I went to theological college. As you do, you have to do some theological training. Now, um, what would normally be a five-year course for ordination took me 10. I'm a slow learner. But there was a particular point in time in the, not long after I entered into this particular course where I was endeavoring to keep up with everybody else who was studying. And the, the study load was very demanding and very heavy to the point that I began to fail. And I came to a point in my life where I said, stuff this. This Christian life is just too hard. I'm going to give it up because I'm just struggling and I'm feeling guilty and I'm feeling shame and I'm failing at this. I wonder if you felt that way. One of the things I did on that particular occasion because I was brought almost to tears is that I open my Bible, interesting thing that you do, and a verse that I'd never seen before became my life verse. It's 1 Thessalonians. I'll give it to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. It simply says this, Faithful is he who called you, and he will do it. My eyes were open to the reality of who was trying to do this. It was me. In whose strength was I endeavoring to do it in? It was mine. 
But when I realized that God was saying, Graham, I'm glad you've come to a place of absolute desperation because now I can do something in your life. And you know, from that particular point of time, in my studies, I haven't failed. I changed a number of things by which I was operating. I stopped competing with the other students about trying to keep up with them in order to appear successful. And I started slowing down what I was doing, and I was totally dependent that God was doing a work in me that was different from his work in somebody else. It's interesting when I reflect on that. Do you remember that passage of Scripture where Jesus is having a conversation with the apostle Peter? And uh, after the resurrection, and he appears to him on the beach, and they've had lunch together, they've had fish and chips. And Jesus turns around and said to Peter, he says, do you love me more than these? Oh, yes, I love you more than these. And then he says, "Do do you love me? And then the third time he says, do you really love me? And Peter turns around and says, you know all things, Lord. You know that I love you. It's interesting when you actually look at the terminology and the words that are used in that context, that Jesus uses the word agape twice, and Peter uses the word filio three times. On the third time, Jesus uses the word filio, which is a different type of love. And then Jesus tells him what's about to happen in his life. It's a prophetic word and how he's going to be lived and how he's going to live and how he's going to glorify God and all of that. And Peter was a little bit uncomfortable, but in the uncomfortableness, he notices John and he looks at him and says, what about him? And in an Irish version of it, it just says, mind your own business. We're always concerned about them, where Jesus is only interested in you. Take your eyes off everybody else and firmly fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus and what he's actually saying to you in your situation and in your context and allow his enabling spirit to come and empower you to live out and carry out what God's called you to do because he's called you for a purpose that is slightly different from the person next to you and the person over here, and the person down on the line, he has a calling on your life, and he says, I want you to depend upon me. I will supply some of your needs, he says, doesn't he? No, according to my scripture, it says, and my God shall supply all your needs. He knows exactly what you're going to face. He knows what you're going to experience in your life, and he says, oh, by the way, Graham, (laughs) I've gone ahead of you. I've provided for you in that situation. Have you ever noticed that God doesn't give you all the details? Uh, When he asks you to do something and you get rather excited about the calling of God on your life, he misses out certain details. It's like the the fine-tuning details. He gives you the big picture and you get excited about the big picture and all of that. But there's certain things that as you look back and say, you know, if God had told me what was going to happen in the process of responding to his call, I don't think I would have said yes. That's why he doesn't tell you the details. He wants you to focus on what he's actually doing. And he wants you to trust him. My God will supply all your needs, whatever you're going through. 
He understands, and His Holy Spirit comes. And that's why we desperately need a great outpouring of the Spirit of God today for the church to be revived because we are doing things in our own strength and instead of the strength of the Spirit of God. It's the enabling Spirit that comes from His Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth in Acts 1.8. This is not a command. It's what we call a result clause. When the Spirit of God comes on you, you can't help but be a witness. You can't help but testify to the reality of the God who loves in you, who loves you, who's forgiven you and done so much. We need a great baptism of the Holy Spirit in our churches today. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Come. I desperately, desperately need you. So many people today in our churches are afraid to witness for Jesus because what might happen when the Spirit comes upon you? You can't help it. <laughs> I just got to tell somebody. And that doesn't make you an evangelist. My wife has very, very different gifts than I do. Her personality is the exact opposite of mine. So you can imagine what our marriage looks like. It's exciting. It's meant to be, not boring. But the reality is we have learned over 43 years of marriage to complement each other. So I've actually calmed down a little bit. And she's exceeded a little, and she's got a little bit more outward, a little bit. And so somehow in our maturing years, we complement each other. And it's exciting. But we can't help talk about Jesus. She does it in a very different way than I do. I just look for opportunities and seize the day. Let me tell you about Jesus. But that's me. She does it in the way that she serves. And they ask questions. Why do you do that? So she tells them in a different way. And so will you. Because the model is not cloning. Did Jesus, did, God did not make clones or clowns. But he did make you unique. And in his uniqueness, he made you special. But you can only carry out what God calls you to do by the enabling work of the Spirit of God working in you. Paul came to a place in his life where he says, this is too tough. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. I have got nothing to give. And Jesus says, Now I can do something in you. How often when you read through the Gospels, and you need to read through the Gospels with imagination, and I think there needs to be a spirit of imagination rising up in our congregations. Philip, uh, uh, the disciples were at a particular point of time, and they said, um, send these people home. And, he said, and Jesus says, no, you feed them. Go and see what's available. 
They come back and they say, five loaves, two fish. What's that amongst so many? And Jesus said, another Irish version, watch this. All I need to do is to bring him what I have. You may think you have nothing to give, but you have something. And all he says is, bring it to me and watch what I will do with your life. Watch what my spirit will empower in your life. Will you let him? We desperately, desperately need to bring what we have, which is nothing, and allow the Spirit of God to come and activate His power in our weaknesses so that it's all about Him. It's not about you at all, <laughs> it's about Him. Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Well, we better move on to the fourth one, otherwise we could be here a long time. And those of you who are online, I know, wow, when's he going to finish? Right, we're down to the final insight. Knowledge of Christ protects you from deception. He writes and says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Why? so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know Christ, in who are hidden all the treasures of the wisdom and the knowledge. Again, Paul is addressing issues that was happening because of the Gnosticism that was in the church at this particular point in time. The greater wisdom, the mystery of it all, the secrets of all of these things. And Paul is saying, I want you to know that when you know Christ, you have all the fullness of the riches of wisdom and knowledge and understanding because it's all about knowing Jesus. When Paul begins his prayer in John chapter 17, the great high priestly prayer, he prays the words these way. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. The whole, the whole purpose of Jesus being sent was to bring about a revelation of what is God like. And when you're describing God, you need to go and look at Jesus because Jesus is the full revelation of who he is and what he's like. We go and look at certain things and we have imaginations and people are, are talking about God being almighty and all-powerful, which is wonderful and it's all true. But what's he like? And when you read the Gospels and when you journey along with Jesus, you come and you understand he's compassionate. Where he would go to lepers who were called the unclean and the untouchables and they allow them to come and touch him. And as a result of being touched, it's like an old song from last century. 
to get a touch from the Lord is surreal. Have you allowed him to touch you? <laughs> if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you to get a touch from the Lord is so real. Or the other song that says, something beautiful, something good, all my confusion, he understood all I had to offer him was my brokenness and strife. And he made something beautiful of my life. By the way, church, you are beautiful. Knowledge brings understanding and it empowers your life because I'm listening to the voice of the one who created me and he does not make junk. Wow, it's powerful. Don't you get excited when you realize and you understand and the, and the words of the apostle John in 1 John 5, 13, he says, I write these things who believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, all of us are together in this room and as you look, are watching online, do you believe in the Son of God? John's writing to you and he says that you may know that you have and continue to have eternal life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he comes as the deceiver and he fills our minds with, a, with garbage. He fills our minds with thoughts that are deceptive. And that's happening in our day and age. Our minds are being infiltrated by deception and lies. Whose voice are you listening to? It's time, church, to gain the understanding and the knowledge. I want you to also understand that, that when, John, uh, when Paul is writing this, there's two basic words for knowledge. One is an intellectual knowledge and gives facts. The one that he uses here is what we call experimental knowledge. It comes from true encounter. It comes from experience. And we need to experience the reality of God in our life because once you've experienced it, your life is different. Have you experienced it? That's what he's come to do. That as you go out from this room, as you leave the, the time that we're gathered here today, you've come to a great awareness that these insights are going to give me greater confidence in my faith journey. The last thing I want to say, may these insights strengthen your faith, that it's not just information. Because Paul didn't write to give people information. He wrote to bring transformation. The aspect of turning their thinking around and allowing their thinking to be, a, be activating their lives and the way they lived. May these insights strengthen your faith in Christ and you're not embarrassed 
I am a believer, and my life reflects that in the way that I speak, in the way that I relate, in the way that I serve, in the way that I work, and give you confidence to live and witness for him. That's why Paul wrote these verses. He wrote them to give insight to the church, to grow their faith. Will you allow these insights to impact you so that you will go out from here with a greater confidence of knowing who Jesus really is? Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for the person and the work of Jesus. We thank you for the Apostle Paul who was able to write from his own story and his own testimony the reality of these insights to address the, the deception that was going on in his world at this time. May these insights, O oh God, now of understanding the purpose of suffering, of understanding the reason for service and revelation and knowledge, may these insights become a reality in each one of our lives that our lives would be witnessing and living for you that others would see Jesus in us. May you be glorified in all that we say and do, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.